Hi there, this is James Swanick and you're listening to the Swanick Podcast. We're going to be talking to uh, Garrett here. How do I pronounce your last name? I want to make sure I get it right. Saul Peter. Saul Peter, I love it. And Garrett Saul Peter is an engineer and neuroscientist who's been on a quest to push the limits of human recovery and fitness. And we're going to be talking about uh, all of that today. And you've, you're a former college ho- hockey player, I think. Is that right? Yes, sir. Do you have hockey in Australia? We have running water and electricity as well. It's incredible. Uh, if you can't see me right now, don't worry. I'm, gonna, I'm just sorting this out in the background. But Garrett, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself. Uh, a little bit about you and what you do while I'm sorting out my uh, my technical issues here. Absolutely. Uh, Garrett Salpeter, founder of New Fit. And we often work with people who are trying to recover from, from injury or from surgery or trying to reverse chronic pain. And by working with their nervous system and using some unique technology that we have, uh, we're often able to help people recover much faster than they would with more traditional methods of physical therapy and, and, you know, other, other traditional therapies. And it's based on the, the, the nervous system because that is the control system of the body. And so that's, you know, in the name of our business is new fit. We put it, put it right there, the neurological. So, uh, we work there and then also often help people recover as they, you know, or, or, or progress as they recover from injuries and overcome pain. Then uh, we're able to also use this technology and the same type of approaches to help them build a long-term sustainable fitness program. So there's a whole, a whole rehab and training system. Got it. And uh, as I understand it, you deal with elite athletes and entrepreneurs in pain management more specifically, right? So people come to you, they've got pain. Yes. How do you help them alleviate that pain? Because let me just give you some context. Um, I have, I, I experience lower back pain and I have done for some years now. And I suspect it's because I have tight glutes and tight hamstrings. And that puts a lot of pressure on my hip area and my hip flexors and around that area, which causes the lower back pain. I, I'm told reliably that if I have lower back pain, it's not really an issue to do with your lower back, even though that's where the pain is. It's often uh, something to do with hamstrings and glutes. Um, is that your understanding, or how would you how would you treat something like that? Uh, that's a, that's a great question. And there's two there's two parts to the pain conversation. One is the the, the physical component, and then the other is you know, sometimes when you're talking about pain, there's, there is a, a psycho-emotional component that we can't ignore. And I'll, I'll talk more about that later. But in, in the physical component, uh, it is common that, you know, there's gluten and hamstring dysfunction that does uh, cause the, the lower back to become susceptible. You know, if you're not supporting or stabilizing with those muscles, you end up collapsing into other areas and that can, that can lead to issues in the lower back. However, uh, we also find that it's it's often many other issues, and oftentimes people will come and see us with low back pain, and we test their glutes and hamstrings, and they're fine. And it's something in the psoas or the adductors or the the glute medius instead of the instead of the glute maximus, or it's something else. Sometimes it's muscles in the in the lower back the, itself. And so, one of the things that we do, like you know, we got to we got to work together. I think it was what Paleo FX or something. We yeah. did that. We did that scanning. It was your foot, right? So so one of the things that we're able to do 
with our with our machine is actually scan around on the body and find exactly where those underlying dysfunctions are so that we're not guessing anymore because sometimes it is the glutes and hamstrings sometimes it's something else and we got to be able to figure out what that you know what the underlying cause really is if you're just joining welcome go ahead and just post in the comments where you are watching from we've got steven who's watching from sacramento in california hello steven uh nice to see you here uh welcome to swanick live i am your host james swanick and today we're speaking to garrett Solpeter, who is the founder and ceo of new fit and uh, Garrett's known as the health engineer, and he's taken his training in engineering and neuroscience and used it to create New Fit, that's N-E-U, Fit, and his patented newbie device. He trains doctors and therapists and professional sports teams and universities how to apply New Fit with their patients and athletes to help them recover faster from injury and optimize performance. So, Garrett, why is it so important to focus on the nervous system for treating pain? Uh, that's, a, that's a fabulous question. And ultimately, working with the nervous system allows us to truly get to the source because pain is a signal from the nervous system, specifically from the brain. And so pain is not experienced in the body. It's actually experienced in the brain. And when, when someone says to you, James, oh, well, you have back pain, it's all in your head you can say, you're right, it is all in, it's all in my head. Pain is always in the head or specifically in the brain of the, of the person who's experiencing it. And so we get so enamored with the, with the, oh, it hurts here, therefore something is broken here and I have to fix it here or you know, wherever it is on the body. And in reality, we know that pain is an action signal from the brain. Pain is the brain's way of saying that whatever's happening right now is threatening. And it's and it's the brain's the brain signal to to stop doing that or change direction or do something different to avoid that threat, and and sometimes the threat is physical. You know, sometimes it hurts here because something is broken here and and something's or something's damaged, and our brain actually legitimately wants us to stay away from that. But sometimes our brains are actually reacting to threats that are that are non-physical so i mentioned you know there's a the psycho-emotional aspect of pain and we can't completely divorce that from this conversation because sometimes we experience pain because of because of job pressures i mean think how many people are, are out of work or their their livelihood is threatened right now that is actually you know beyond just a paycheck that's relevant to survival because if i can't you know if i can't get enough money to pay rent and feed my family that that legitimately threatens my survival and so that taps into those same brain mechanisms the these almost reptilian survival based brain mechanisms where we're always monitoring our environment and our surroundings for possible threats and constantly passing you know millions of bits of information through this filter through the amygdala for example that's that's looking at everything is this anything i have to address or is it something i should be afraid of is it something that's threatening to my survival and so our, our brains are constantly, constantly monitoring the environment for threat. And sometimes those threats are non-physical. And there, there's a really interesting uh, body of research, you know, when you mentioned back pain here that, that I just have to mention, which is uh, there was a initial, initial studies were done within a large corporation where they were concerned that, that a large part of their workforce were you know, were missing days of work because of low back pain, and so they tried to figure out what it was that 
was was causing this you know was it the ergonomics of their chair was it not getting up and and walking for a few minutes every hour like was it being too sedentary or was it not stretching certain muscles or was it having pre, uh, being predisposed to back pain because of they were overweight you know they looked at all these things and guess james guess what they found out was the the number one cause it was all in the head it was it was job dissatisfaction yeah there you go it was all in their head. It was job dissatisfaction. It yeah. was, yeah. Well, I tell you what, that must mean that I'm dissatisfied with my job because I have low back pain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not dissatisfied with my job. I actually lo love what I do. Um, you know, I, I own a couple of businesses and I love that. And I still have back pain. So there must be some kind of emotional issue that's going on that's causing me to have continuous uh, lower back pain. I've actually got this little device here that I'm, I've got between me and my back, me and the, the back of the chair at the moment, which is alleviating some of the pressure on my lower back. And then sometimes when I sit in a car, or actually almost always when I'm driving a car, the way that you know, if, the, if the, the, the car that I'm driving doesn't have one of those chairs where you can kind of um, change the degrees of, of um, you know, actually the seat and the degrees of the back, other than just like, you know, you pull a lever and you can move closer to the steering wheel or, and you can move the, the, back, the, um, the backrest back, but you can't actually move the seat down or up. If it's something like that, I experience tremendous back pain because it puts a lot of pressure on my lower back. If I'm, in a, if I'm driving someone else's car or a rent-a-car, for example, and I can change the the seat height or the seat angle a little bit i can actually alleviate a lot of, a lot of that pain um hello connie from hoboken Stephen from sacramento if you guys have, uh, have got a question for garrett please do um post your question in here right now and uh, ask garrett uh garrett and i have met in person at paleo fx in austin texas where he um puts uh his device up to my um it was, but it was my, it was my foot the first year, and then it was my knee the next year. Garrett, you might recall. Um, and we're talking about reducing pain uh, in the body using, uh, I guess, what Garrett would describe as neuroscience. Right? Is that how you would describe it? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And if anytime we're talking about pain, it, we absolutely have to talk about the nervous system because that is what gives us the experience of pain. Yeah. So. What can people do besides uh, being satisfied with their job, becoming more satisfied with their job or quitting their job and getting one that they are satisfied with? What else can they do to reduce pain from sitting at desks for long hours, for example? I think you're standing up at the moment. I'm waiting on my stand-up desk to arrive any week now and then I'm going to be standing almost all the time. But at the moment, I am sitting in a chair. So what can people do if they experience, for example, back pain um, you know, from sitting at desks for long hours? That, that's a great, a great question because it is common to have back pain, even if one is, as you are, satisfied with their job. And so, you know, unfortunately, it's not always that easy. That's where we have to do some fact-finding. Um, another, another common cause, like, like you talk about, if you're in the car and you're driving uh, for an extended period of time, sometimes the back will hurt unless you can move or have the seat positioned a certain way. And so if you... Uh, if you're if you're not moving, like a lot of times people are, are stiff in the morning or after a long car trip, if you're not moving, you're actually missing out 
on all of the, the signals of movement, all these neurological inputs that happen when we move, you know, there should be, we should be sending inputs from the, from the, the core of the body when we're moving. And if we're missing out on those, the brain starts to get a little fuzzy. It, you know, believe it or not, it doesn't actually see as clearly where the torso and the lower back are in space and how those joints are, are moving and how they're relating to each other. And so it, it will, as a protective mechanism, stiffen up. So a lot of times when, when we're stiff, when we're like, when we think, oh man, I should be more flexible than this, but I'm not, I'm so stiff. A lot of times that's a protective mechanism imposed by the brain and nervous system. And it's very similar to pain because it's a response to threat. It's a protective strategy. And so, so pain and stiffness often go hand in hand. And a way to help with both back pain and with stiffness is to move, of course, and we're going to we're going to think about moving in a very strategic way where with the lower back we have these vertebrae you know the the L1 through 5 the vertebrae stacked on top of each other to make that spinal column and we have to make sure that we actually move that column so I'll just lower my screen a little bit um, and while you do that I'm actually going to stand up <laughs> good so, so it's going to be a more of a peculiar angle but I'm just going to so, stand so one, one, one great movement you can do for, for your lower back, and this is one that I absolutely love and, and do often and would recommend, is stand with your hands on your hips, and you're going to try to keep your pelvis still. So the pelvis isn't, the hips aren't going to move. The movement is going to be in the lumbar spine, and we're going to do a big circle. Imagine, James, imagine that you had a flashlight coming out of the top of your head, and you were tracing a circle on the ceiling, or like you're just making a big, uh, you know, tracing out a big circle with your shoulders and your torso. So we're getting some in the front here, that's flexion, bending forward. We're getting some side bending, some extension going to the back and some side bending to the other side. So doing literally my top takeaway uh, would be to get up every, you know, ideally every hour and just do five to 10 of these in both directions. Yeah, that's the best case scenario. Uh, you know, at least a couple times a day yeah. is, is, you know, second best, but, uh, it doesn't take much five to 10 reps in there just to, just to create some, you know, get some movement in those joints. You have all these, these wonderful neurological receptors, all these sensors there in between the joints. And if, when you, when you don't move them, they just kind of, you know, they get dull. They don't, the, the pathways go dormant. And so stimulating yeah. those sends this barrage of input, and so your, your brain's able to take off. It says, oh, okay, the back is there. It's doing this. There's not as much need to protect and stiffen. It'll let you move more and just be more fluid and loose. Yeah, it's kind of like use it or lose it, right? So it's like use, use your spine, use your hips or, or lose the mobility and the strength in it. You know, all the exactly. So um, it's the same with muscles, right? It's like use the muscle to, or, or you'll lose the muscle, you know? That's exactly right. Exactly right. And a lot of times, you know, we, we, we know more and probably think and, and speak more about muscles because, you know, we see them and a lot of times our, our kind of body image or our perception of how healthy we are is based on our, on our muscles. And so we often look at those and, and joints, um, but doing joint focused movements uh, are, are profoundly important for, for healthy movement and for helping us maintain our movement, particularly as we get older. And uh, they're also also very important for, for this, you know, for avoiding injury, for, for reducing or eliminating pain. 
And, and that's part of that is because, you know, if you, if you move a muscle, there's, there's a, there's some nerves in the muscle, but if you move a joint, there's so many more nerves in that joint. So you get all this beautiful, wonderful neurological input when you do that. And so that's how the brain are, you know, our brains are this master control system of the body. And we need to have that, that information, that input going up into the brain so that it can make better decisions and, and can, you know, control everything in the most optimal way possible. Uh, uh, we've got a, a, someone watching us live on Facebook at the moment. Brad LaCroix says, so true, Garrett. Great stuff. Totally agree with a thumbs up. Uh, we have Stephen uh, who's saying, interesting, my wife's back has been bothering her and she's very stressed and dissatisfied with her job. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so if you start experiencing lower back pain, it's a sign that you've got to get out of your job. Get into a new one. Do something different. <laughs> if you're just joining us, go ahead and uh, leave a comment or ask a question of Garrett here. We're going to be talking about uh, overcoming pain, overcoming injury. Uh, Garrett is the founder and CEO of NewFit, uh, and he is known as the health engineer. And he's taken his training in engineering and neuroscience and used it to create NewFit and his newbie device, which we're going to be asking about or talking about in a second. Um, just for now, why don't you just go ahead and describe what the new fit method is? Like, just how does it work and, and how can people try this, this new fit and how is it different from, say, other modalities? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we often work with people who are, who are trying to recover from pain and injury. Uh, we're trying to recover from surgery, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning here, and we're able to help them by addressing the real impediments that's, that stand in the way of efficient healing. Because, you know, if you're injured, James, you know, if you're, if you're injured because you, you know, your lower back is actually damaged or irritated, uh, or if you, if you fall and twist your ankle or, or, you know, whatever it is, the issue is not necessarily the initial insult or trauma, but how the body responds to that to that trauma. And what I mean by that specifically is that after you roll your ankle, for example, your muscles all stiffen and, and contract around there in order to protect. It's that same survival-based protective mechanism you know, that, that we talked about earlier. And that is, that's productive if someone tries to attack that, that ankle tissue again and tries to make you, force you into rolling your ankle again in that moment. But it's actually counterproductive for healing, for movement, and in many ways, the, that response actually stands in the way of the healing process. The body literally blocks its own or impedes its own healing process, and it's you know in some ways it's just as simple as that excessive tension there, where the body is trying to lock down that area. That tension literally reduces the the flow of blood and and blocks the flow of nutrients and raw materials that the body needs in order to, to help heal that, that tissue that was damaged. And so what we're able to do, for example, in this case is scan around on the, on the body. And if it was, if it was your ankle, James, we'd be able to scan around on your foot, scan on your, your leg and tell you exactly where those protective patterns are present in your nervous system, where your nervous system is telling those muscles to guard and protect and brace and once we find those areas, then we're able to use this unique direct current 
to, to help give the neurological Im impulses to re-educate those areas, break through that protective pattern and, and take the tissue that where everything was really protected and contracted, open it up so that now, for instance, the, the blood, more blood flow can get in there and it can bring the nutrients and the raw materials. And it's, it's amazing when that happens that, you know, the, the body still is doing the healing. It's not like we're doing the healing, you know, it's the, that patient's body is doing the healing and it can do it in an incredibly fast, seemingly miraculous time frame. And when we get those impediments out of the way and that process is able to, to move at its natural rate, the results do sometimes seem miraculous where, you know, we'll work with on, on the ankle sprain example, you know, here in Texas, High school football is a big deal. Friday night lights, they're playing the games there. And every season we'll have a few high school football players who will uh, have an ankle sprain in that Friday night game. They think they're supposed to be out three to four weeks and they'll come and see us. They'll do maybe two or three sessions a day, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then they're, they're back on the practice field Tuesday, Wednesday. They play that Friday. They don't miss a game and they're blown away at how much faster they recovered. And that's because of how we're able to help them manage the response to the injury. Again, not so much the injury itself as much as it is the response to it. So just, uh, we've got a couple of questions that are coming through here. We've got Connie on YouTube is asking, what's your perspective on the research that says emotional, um, I, think, I think what you might mean is pain here. It says emotional pain actually causes the same feeling as physical pain. And if you agree, how do you treat it? So what's your perspective on research that says emotional pain actually causes physical pain? And how would you treat that? That's a fabulous question. Thank you. If it was Connie, I couldn't, I think I heard the name, but uh, yeah, thank you so much. Connie is watching live on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that question, because that is a fascinating discussion topic. And this is a really important concept if we're going to help people with pain, because oftentimes their pain is due to more psychological or emotional factors. And it's, you know, something might've gotten hurt in the past and yet the pain lingers on long after that original injury is healed or, or it's been gone for a while and it comes back and it, you know, seemingly because of some sort of emotional trigger. And, uh, it's very, very interesting that the way we respond to, emotional threats is very similar to the way that we respond to physical threats. So, so if, if James were going to attack me here, I might, I might kind of startle and I might brace myself and I'll probably, you know, kind of close my body in the sense that I'm going to bring my, the, the bones of my arms in front of my more vulnerable organs. I'm going to try to protect my face, try to protect my visceral organs. I'm going to kind of curl up and close in this flexion dominant position. And, even if now, even if he's not coming at me physically, but if, if something emotionally challenging or threatening is happening to me, my body will actually adopt to some degree that same type of position. I'll, I'll brace as if something's coming at me physically, even if it's just a, you know, an emotional threat or something that, that quote unquote should not hurt or, or that we think would not hurt. And so, there is, whenever we experience emotional and psychological stress or trauma, there is a physical correlate. There's a, there's a location wherein we actually brace or where we hold that trauma is what some people might say. And so one of the coolest parts of, of this process is that when we scan around on the body, we, we find wherever, wherever the body's bracing or protecting or responding as if there's, there's threat. And so it's possible 
to even be able to pick up threat that's due to or, or protection that's due to non-physical threats. So in the physical body, it's still possible to pick up uh, pick up areas of, of threat that, that's due to non-physical causes. And you still want to work on it in the same type of way. I mean, we're, we're talking, we're talking, you know, physically here. So we're not doing counseling and we're not necessarily talking to people or processing the trauma in that cognitive way. Uh, however, doing this type of work, it's common that we, we work with people who, who experience either reliving some sort of, of, of injury or trauma or have emotions come up as they're doing this. And uh, again, you know, I'm not trained as a, as a psychologist or psychiatrist. Uh, and so, you know, if there was something more serious coming up, we, we would definitely refer to, to someone who can handle that. Um, and there are many times that we've observed where people seem to be able to release the emotional burden uh, and feel that sense of lightness and ease by releasing the the physical holding and the physical guarding that was associated with that emotional or psychological event. So hopefully that that helps you there, Connie. Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's probably the most, at the least at the moment, one of the more famous or well-known, <clears throat> I guess, I don't know how you would describe, how would you describe him? Meditation expert or a yeah. neuroscientist? But he's a, he's a very big um, proponent of people being able to heal physical trauma by healing their emotional trauma. Um, there are there are stories of people going to his workshops who've got um, you know seemingly incurable cancer, and this is a very extreme case. And then spending a week with him and just you know rewiring the the, the neurons in their brain, they're able to to heal themselves. Now, again, that's a very extreme case. But if we take this into like a, a not so extreme case, um, you can actually um, persuade your brain or rework your brain to literally overcome sickness, health, uh, sorry, overcome sickness, maybe something like the flu, maybe like a fever, maybe um, poor, uh, you know, uh, get out of that stress, which is high cortisol, the high um, fight or flight uh, hormone of cortisol, reduce the cortisol levels, come back into a more calm state, and then the whole body starts to correct itself. And a lot of pain that was showing up in, you know, areas of your body somehow, you know, almost seemingly miraculously um, dissipates. So um, anyway, he, he seems to be a big proponent of that. And it seems like in a way, Garrett, what you're doing here with your, um, with your newbie is that, uh, and, your, and your new fit method is that you're actually doing somewhat of a similar kind of exercise, albeit just in a different type of process. I think so. I think there's a lot of overlap, and I think that's a beautiful description that the the, the brain and, and the output of the body is a response to the signals of the environment. And so by by changing the environment, you're able to change at least to some degree the output of the brain and the body and by changing you know as as dr dispenza is talking about um and as you're sharing with that experience by changing the the emotional milieu or the the emotional state that that changes the 
the processes that are going on in the brain changes the outputs. It also certainly, as you mentioned, changes the hormonal environment. And, and there's serious health consequences to always being in that stressed out fight or flight high cortisol state. So a lot of the what we think of as the placebo effect, a lot of those uh, placebo effect results are shown to be due to changes in the autonomic nervous system state and getting the getting the nervous system to shift into more of that parasympathetic or the rest and digest state as opposed to the fight or flight state. And that's the state wherein the body, uh, well, the, the, let's talk about the opposite first. The fight or flight state is when the body takes takes energy and resources away from from the digestive and elimination organs and the reproductive organs. It takes energy away from those because that's about absorbing nutrients to rebuild the body or, or reproduction. You know, those are, those are long-term projects where if we have an immediate survival need, those are, those are not super relevant, right? We need to live to see tomorrow. That's priority number one. And so the body will, will take energy and resources away from those systems to send it out to the muscles, to the brain, so that we can, can either fight or flee or think our way out of a challenge. And so, so creating that shift where, where you're able to move more into the rest and digest state sends more energy and resources to the organs of digestion, waste elimination, reproduction. Um, it optimizes heart rate and blood pressure cardiovascular system. And so, so being in that state has profound implications. And that's where a lot of the benefits of meditation, that's where some of the benefits of, of our work come into play, where a lot, a lot of the underlying objective is to create that shift into the, the rest and digest response so that the body, you know, just like the body has power to, to heal and, and rebuild after physical trauma, the body has amazing ability to recover, to, to fight off disease, you know, to, to really do wonderful things, to rebuild itself, to detoxify. And so the more energy and resources we can put into the actual organs that, that perform those tasks, the more our bodies are able to fight off disease, rebuild themselves, and, and the more vibrant, healthy, energetic, you know, we, we all are. And so there's a big, big part of that is the autonomic nervous system. And, and that's where there's a few different things, uh, a few different things that happen. One is, you know, sp stimulating very specific parts of the nervous system can help shift us into that state. So like vagus nerve stimulation, which is something that, that we do with our device, you know, we have some different techniques that we use to help increase that, that rest and digest response, for example. Um, and then also uh, the, the same type of process that we talked about in terms of recovering from, from injury and, and where those protective patterns are happening. If, if one of those, if one of those patterns or many of those patterns are, are present in the body where the, there's, there's threat and there's those, areas of, of holding on in the body as if trying to brace against a threat, then, then the brain's constantly in that high alert state. The brain is thinking, oh my gosh, we, we could get attacked again, or, or we are under attack right now. And so finding where those patterns are present, you, you kind of cut off that line of communication. You change the environment, where, whereas before the brain was getting these input, these signals from the body saying, you know, we're under attack, or this is a, a time of of, uh, of threat or problems. Now the message is one of, oh, okay, you know, we're, we're relaxed. We're cool. We can handle more. We can handle a challenge. If it were to come up, we're good. So you're changing that signal from the environment by sending signals, you know, with, with a device or through meditation or through various techniques. I'm going to ask you about how the device 
works. I'll get you to describe it in just a second. But uh, if you're watching here on Facebook or YouTube or some other platform, go ahead and uh, type a question for Garrett uh, right now. Uh, any question around pain, recovery, uh, maybe you have some pain in your somewhere in your body, maybe Garrett can help um, uh, solve that for you or suggest a, a form of uh, repair for you. Uh, if you have some, some other issue that you'd like to ask Garrett's advice of, um, here we go. We've got Rod says, I injured my ankle and was told I may not be able to perform again. I love dancing and want to overcome this. Any tips? So Rod uh, injured his ankle, was told he may not be able to perform again, loves dancing, wants to overcome it. Any tips? Uh, great question, Rod. So first, you know, I have to say I'm not not able to give you medical advice, you know, nothing is here is meant to diagnose or anything. Um, I am happy to share experiences or share a perspective based on our experiences. And uh, it will, it will depend, you know, the, the advice that we can offer or what we or our team or our, our people in our network around the country can do for you. Uh, it will depend on the severity of the injury and, and, you know, there's many variables. With that said, uh, you know, this is something that we've heard before where people think it's either going to be a long time to recover or they're not going to be able to get back to a certain level. And that's because the common approaches, you know, in physical therapy, orthopedic medicine, everything is so structure-based and tissue-based and there's not enough emphasis on, on function and function is controlled by the nervous system. And, you know, it's rare that, that therapists and doctors actually think about about neurological function in the treatment of, of injuries like this. And so we have been able to help people using, using the new fit method. And, and you know, what, what we're talking about here, we have been able to help people who have these, these types of injuries make significant progress and get back to the point where, you know, where they can walk again when they weren't supposed to be able to, or they get back to playing sports when they, when they weren't supposed to be able to. And so I think it's definitely worth trying. Um, what I, you know, if you are interested, what I'd encourage you to do is check out our website. It's new.fit, N-E-U.F-I-T and uh, www.new.fit and then click on there's a locations tab uh, at the top of the page and that'll show you a list of all of the locations you know 100 or so uh, around North America right now that are offering new fit and uh, you know sometimes people have these you know these either you know really painful or very limiting conditions and and can experience breakthroughs very, very quickly doing this. So I think it's worth trying. You know, obviously it's without knowing more details, it's tough to give you a very clear prognosis. Um, but I definitely think it's worth trying. And based on our experiences, there is often a lot of, of opportunity for improvement when you take this neurological approach, because it's so often ignored in traditional methods. And yet it's super important. It's vitally important because the nervous system controls you know, almost everything about the body. Yeah, so um, just before I ask you to explain how it actually works or just describe, you know, what you're putting on someone's body and what, what happens there. I mean, I, I have experienced this and I can do it, but I'll get you to um, explain it. Um, question, uh, rice, R-I-C-E, rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Let's just say I roll an ankle, I, um, my, my foot starts to blow up, there's lots of swelling, um, the traditional method is rest, ice, compression, elevation, rice, right? So rest, 
it's, it's straight away we grab an ice pack, we stick it on to reduce the swelling, uh, compression, we put like a bandage around it, we make it nice and tight, and then elevation, we want to make sure that the ankle's above our heart so that the, um, the, uh, the, the blood is flowing away from, uh, from the injury. So what you seem to be suggesting is either in conjunction with that or no, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna rest it. We're just gonna start to work on the on it right away. Almost as, as soon as the injury happens, we're just gonna go to work it. We're gonna start like uh, working the muscles around there, trying to get the repair process going. So, how do you um, can you just explain that as to like does the new fit method work in conjunction with doing rice, or do we have to do rice for a, a day or two or a few days first, and then we put new fit to it? Like, just explain that. Uh, that that's a that's a great question, and that is you know the, probably the first thing people think of is oh I need to ice this and yeah do the whole the whole rice thing, and so the one of the ways that I like to think about this topic is to think back to the you know the the caveman days for example if if an early human sprained his or her ankle that person is going to be a serious vulnerability for themselves and for their tribe because if they can't move, you know, if they're, they're sitting there, they can get eaten by a predator. Um, and if they, if their, their, you know, comrades have to carry them, then their whole group moves more slowly and they're all more vulnerable to being attacked. And so the early human we have to believe would have probably tried, you know, tried to walk it off. They would try to try to move that area and it would be painful if there's damage there, but they would move through it. They'd probably push through some of that discomfort. And uh, in the process, I believe they would end up healing faster because they're stimulating. They're actually providing mechanical input, mechanical stimulus into those tissues and and creating movement to, to pump the, blood in there to bring the nutrients and the raw materials that they need to rebuild and repair. And they probably by moving it would actually stimulate themselves, cause themselves to heal faster. And there's several aspects of this rice approach that actually impede the healing process. So ice, for example, causes vasoconstriction. It reduces the the blood going to that area. You know, if you, if you alternate with heat, maybe, maybe not a problem, or if you only do a little bit of it, maybe not a problem. Uh, but Generally, that you know, there's no evidence that shows it to to actually speed up or, or improve the recovery process. The the use of ice, uh, rest, rest is is interesting because you know if we think about it, rest, you know, the the body is always responding to the to the signals and the inputs of the environment. And if we're just sitting around on the couch, at some point the brain starts to think, oh, this is the new normal. And it starts to downregulate all of the systems of the body. And so the metabolism and the hormones and everything is, is going to work at a little bit of a lower level. And I mean, does that mean you never take a day off? No, of course not. But there is, there is some point in time where those signals start to start to downregulate and, and actually reduce the body's overall healing capacities and capabilities. Plus, just if you got injured because you have an underlying dysfunction, just you know, sitting around and resting isn't going to fix that underlying dysfunction. So you do have to, to work to address underlying issues if, if there are some, uh, which often there are, especially with non-contact injuries. Uh, compression elevation, you know, there is some, some use in, in reducing swelling, but 
you have to ask whether whether you necessarily want to reduce swelling because swelling is the blood plasma pooling in that area and that's the part of blood that carries you know you have the red blood cells that carry oxygen and the rest of rest of the the liquid is the plasma and that carries for instance a lot of the proteins that you need to rebuild and repair that area so the, the body is sending that there um and and we don't necessarily want to or need to get rid of all of it because you know it, it has some value it's part of the natural healing process for a reason because that's part of how the body delivers the the raw materials so you know i definitely have some issues with that and we've seen that that using our process for example uh, can definitely help people recover much faster than than they would if they were just following the rice approach or the more traditional therapy progressions so just explain how your device works and then i'm going to i've got a question here from paula uh wadeson white and a brad uh lacroix and uh another uh member paula asks any hints for healing a frozen shoulder uh just before we get to that, can you just explain, like visually try to create a picture of how a new fit device works? Yeah, absolutely. Let me grab a, grab a prop one moment. Um, and if you are still, if you are here and you're watching and you have a question, please do post your question down below and ask the question of Garrett, Garrett Salpeter. Uh, Garrett, over to you. I'll see if I can actually get a device. I think my wife, my wife was using it for her workout out in the garage. So I'll see if she can bring it, bring it in. Uh, basically, we have uh, one of these electrodes that will be connected to the machine, and, and we start by scanning around on the body. And what we're doing is basically loading or challenging these areas. So we're getting the signal as if that muscle was actually working or as if as if that muscle is actually working or when we're up here as if that muscle is actually working and it allows us to tell a few things very quickly we can tell first of all which muscles are up to the challenge because they're able to process that signal and the brain just says oh yeah that's that's no big deal that's well within the current capacity of of those tissues there's no reason to you know protect or or that's not threatening at all and so so you know it feels kind of pleasant so as we do that scan, we can tell, yeah, the areas where things are were working well, the, the brain doesn't have to fight against it at all. It actually feels kind of pleasant, like a nice tingle. And then if we find areas where there is a problem, you know, for instance, if I go to this arm and I scan over an area where, where that either the body's been protecting because there was trauma there, and that's part of those, those kind of maladaptive responses that we were talking about earlier where the body's protecting and bracing and, and getting in the way of its own healing process or an area where the body's been holding uh, protecting because of emotional traumas like we talked about or it's an area that's been underused because of bad habits or previous injuries if we stimulate an area like that then the the signal to the brain is whoa hey we're loading an area that that doesn't really like that that area that hasn't been working at that level in a long time there's something new something different something threatening and so the brain actually responds where it's threatening. And so the brain triggers this alarm. This, by the way, is, is what the machine looks like, or at least the, the old uh, prototype version. Uh, this is the one, that, the one that we keep at home. And we've been, been sending out a bunch of these uh, for people during, during COVID, doing home health and stuff like that. But that's, that's, that's what it looks like. So when we, when we find one of these areas where there's, there's some sort of, it's threatening for whatever reason, you know, because of, disuse or because of those protective patterns, then the brain sees that signal and it triggers one of those alarm reactions. That's that same type of protective reaction we talked about that, that is very, very 
similar to or even equivalent to, to the messaging with pain. And so we can find where those threats are neurologically and then teach the body, stimulate those areas to downregulate those those threats or, or inoculate against those threats is another good way of saying it, to actually change the function and, and break through those those barriers where the body would be standing in the way of its own process. We can open up the floodgates to allow healing to happen. And so you'll actually be, you know, if we found a spot there, for example, we'd actually stimulate that area with the same machine while doing different movements and, and very quickly and efficiently retrain the, the muscles, the tissues, and, and really the underlying neurological patterns that control everything in that area. Yeah, great. Um, and I recall doing it at Paleo FX conference in Austin, Texas, and uh, you hooked me up to your machine, and it was like a, a like a pulsing sensation, if I recall correctly. Um, and you were, and what's that sensation? What's actually? What am I feeling when the when the pulsing is going through my uh, around the area of my injury? So it's a it's a it's a pulsed direct current, and that's that's an, an important piece that's worth touching on for a moment because virtually everything else that's out there in the world of of electrical currents, electrical stimulation for the body, virtually all of it is alternating current, and that has some some issues and limitations, particularly when you're talking about about neuromuscular reeducation and and how the nervous system controls the muscles because. As that alternating current, as that signal volleys back and forth, you end up causing muscles to, to co-contract and fight against each other. You train the body to stiffen and resist its own movements. And so when it's up at a high enough level to make a difference, you end up training the body to move as if you were driving a car, hitting the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time. And you can imagine that's very inefficient, possibly even sets the body up for injury. Whereas with this direct current signal, it actually mimics the, the directionality and the impulses within the nervous system. And so it allows us to tap into the nervous system, both in that scanning and that, that assessment process and also in the treatment process to tap into the nervous system in very powerful, significant ways so that we can make changes very quickly. Um, so what it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a direct current and it's stimulating all the different sensory receptors. And so you'll feel some of the, you know, the skin receptors, you'll feel some buzzing and only if there's issues will you feel that those deep, you know, cramps or those pain, painful sensations, which are, you know, like trigger points would be the best kind of thing to describe. And as you work through it, it tends to relax the tissue and starts to feel more pleasant and just becomes a, a nice buzz again. So that's what we're shooting for is that, that nice buzz. Wonderful. So let's answer a few questions here. Um, we had Paula, any hints for healing a frozen shoulder? And then we'll go to uh, Brad, who asks, uh, "Have you, uh, Garrett? Have you worked with anybody that has cerebral palsy and septo-optic uh, dysplasia?" My niece's daughter, who was two years old, has these two. Connie asks on YouTube, "Can you help explain how your device is different than a stim machine that you would get in PT?" So let's uh, just uh, handle in that order. Paula's question first. Any hints for healing a frozen shoulder? Uh, great question, Paula. If you're dealing with that. I know it can be frustrating, and I definitely feel compassion for you. Uh, frozen shoulder is a it's it's very interesting, and I think the best way or the, the best kind of perspective for addressing it is to think about injuries and and problems like this 
in two components. There's a, there's a functional component and there's a structural component. And it's called adhesive capsulitis. So if, the, if there is truly a problem in the structural component and it is the, the shoulder capsule, then the, sorry, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know which one I use because I see myself on here and I'm flipped. So, so the, the structural component uh, sometimes can be, you know, there can be so much structural damage or trauma uh, that that is the, the limiting factor and you have to wait for that to heal or unfreeze. However, there are a lot of times where the functional component really is the problem, where, where a large part of the, the, the frozen shoulder is really the, the brain and nervous system trying to protect and lock down the arm so that you don't move that shoulder because the, the brain perceives that as threatening, either because of a, a previous injury or, or you know, because of any sort of threat. Um, the, the times where we've seen breakthroughs are times where, where it has been more of that, that functional piece where we've worked with people who have had frozen shoulder for six months and couldn't lift their arm past here. And in a couple sessions by, by breaking through that neurological protective response, we've been able to see them get all the way up to here, uh, you know, in, in, in just a few sessions, seemingly miraculous, we know it's an impossibly short period of time for the structure to change. So we know it was a functional change and, and we know that they had that range of motion available to them. They were just blocking themselves from actually expressing it. They were, they were, the brain was actively imposing the limitation, putting on the brakes, so to speak, in order to keep them there because the brain thought it was unsafe. It was afraid that they might get injured if they went past that certain point. And so, so, Oftentimes, that functional approach can lead to breakthroughs that are that are significant and happen very quickly. Sometimes there are there are cases where the the structural component is so significant that the structural damage or or changes to that joint capsule are so significant that it is just going to be a much slower process. And so. Uh, we don't necessarily know which which category you fall into until we get to go through some of our tests and actually try some of the, the treatment. Uh, however, I would definitely, based on the results that we've seen, I would encourage you, uh, if you can, to, to find a new, a new fit practitioner. Check out uh, www.new.fit uh, and then go to the locations tab and uh, see if, if there happens to be someone near you to, to, to try out a session because, uh, yeah, there are enough times where we've seen these, these breakthroughs that I think it's definitely worth trying and it's non-invasive, very low risk. So, uh, yeah, again, I think worth trying. Garrett asks, uh, <clears throat> have you worked with anybody that has cerebral palsy and septo-optic uh, dysplasia? hope I'm pronouncing that correct correctly. My niece's daughter, who was two years old, has these two. Uh, thank you, Brad, for the question. Uh, I know I know that uh, can be challenging as well. We have a, a fairly significant experience with people who have CP, cerebral palsy, uh, children, and even even some adults also. And so that is one where I do feel confident in in recommending trying new fit. Uh, I don't personally have any experience with the septo optic dysplasia. Um, I, you know, I'd be happy to ask around and if there's a, a place where we can post something, uh, or, uh, you know, see if, see if any, anyone in our network has experience with that, uh, in terms of CP, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's some very interesting findings that we've had. For instance, one child that we worked with who was, I think eight years old at the time, 
uh, because of the, the muscle tension related to CP, uh, she was a toe walker. So I don't know if you can see right now, but I'm standing up on my tippy toes and I'll just show you with my hands. Uh, so she would always walk on her, always walk on her toes. And in one session, we had the, had the, the machine on her, had the newbie stimulating her. And she was able for the first time to actually get her heels down as she walked normally. And it was profound. I mean, her mother's jaw dropped and it was, it was really powerful. And it took, uh, when we took the machine off that day, she went back to toe walking and it took, it took, you know, many sessions, like 15 to 20 over a period of a few months in order to change the pattern to where she was walking much more normally, you know, unconsciously without thinking about it, you know, to make real kind of lasting changes in her gait. And um, we've seen similar improvements with, with an adult CP patient who we're working with at our home office here in Austin, for example. Um, you know, he had uh, this flexion position. And now after, after a few months with us, you know, on command for the first time can, can extend his wrist to neutral, even a little past neutral, has much better dexterity and control of his fingers. Uh, his penmanship is significantly improved. He was writing, uh, was, was extremely sloppy and barely legible. And, uh, now it's, you know, much smoother, much more legible. Um, so we've seen, seen some cool things in that area and, uh, a large part of what we believe to be happening is, is really neuroplasticity. You know, we're, we're, we're tapping into the body's capacity for neuroplasticity, the nervous system. You know, we used to think it was hardwired or fixed and static. Now we know it can change and adapt to our environment and our experiences. And one of the keys is that it just takes a lot of input. It takes a lot of stimulation to, to, to stimulate the nervous system to actually change and adapt. And so, you know, for patients recovering from stroke, for example, it can take hundreds of thousands of repetitions to regain movements. It's like the equivalent of, you know, if, if James was training to be an Olympic athlete, I know he used to used to work for ESPN and talk about the Olympic athletes at least. But uh, when, you know, when you're thinking about someone who trains for hours a day, every day for years, that's the, that's the amount of work that it takes to, to tap into this capacity for neuroplasticity and make changes. And that's because of, of the, you need to have this, this dose of neurological input and using technology like ours, you can get that, that dose much more efficiently and, and safely and effectively. And so, you know, instead of, instead of four years, maybe you can shorten it to two. It's still a long time, but uh, it's much shorter and more efficient and you see more, more tangible progress more quickly along the way. Got a question here from Edgar who says, uh, sorry, actually let's do Connie's first. Um, can you help explain how your device is different from a stim machine that you would get in PT? And then we'll go to Edgar's question about running. Yeah, great question, Connie. Uh, so the, the biggest difference has to do with this, uh, this distinction between alternating current and direct current. And uh, I don't know if you were on for the for that that uh, piece of the conversation. the The biggest difference is the effect on the, the the nervous system, the neuromuscular system specifically. And the alternating current devices cause a lot of muscle contraction as the signals alternate. And uh, really, the limiting factor is that that muscle contraction. Whereas there's less of that happening with our device. And you may wonder, well 
is that good or is that bad? Like, I think I want to, I think I want to get the muscles working. And the, the reason that we want this and the reason that it's beneficial is that the, when we can, when we can bypass at least to some degree, all that muscle contraction, we can actually communicate with the nerves and the nervous system in a much more powerful and meaningful way. And so, so some of it is in the, the technology, some of the difference is in the device itself, and then some of it is in the methods that we use for applying it with the, the various assessments and the whole system and process. And so uh, if you can, I'd encourage you to, to work with a new fit practitioner near you. Um, we also, I don't know if any, if any doctors or therapists are on the call, we do train and certify other professionals and we have about a hundred or a little more um, physical therapy, chiropractic, integrative medicine clinics around the country that are that are using the newbie, uh, and uh, a handful of pro sports teams and some major universities and their athletic departments and uh, places like that. So any professionals uh, would certainly love to chat with you about it as well. Uh, Edgar's asking, I go for a run maybe once or twice only a week. A day after jogging, my legs are really sore. Anything which I can do to ease the pain? Great, great, great question. So um, soreness, soreness is, is interesting. Um, soreness is typically the result of inflammation. You know, when you're, when you're training in the gym or you're jogging like you're doing here, your muscles to some degree, they, they kind of break down. You challenge the muscles and, and some of those individual muscle fibers have micro trauma. They tear a little bit and the body responds with inflammation. It sends inflammation there to, to pick up some of the damage and to guide the regrowth and repair process. And so if the soreness is in your muscles, uh, to some degree, you may want to consider letting it run its course because that's part of part of the body's process of of remodeling and rebuilding and reinforcing its own structures so that they're better equipped to handle that same activity or challenge next time. So they actually come back stronger so they can can handle that again in the future. And there's evidence that shows, for example, that taking anti-inflammatories, like if you take Advil or aspirin, something like that, it could help reduce or eliminate the soreness, but it does so at a cost because you're going to actually reduce or cut off protein synthesis. You're going to block, by blocking inflammation, you're blocking the body's ability to, to rebuild and remodel those tissues. So to recommend it, at least considering that, that you may want to let that run its course. If the soreness is in your joints, that's an important distinction. So soreness in the muscles, we may want to consider letting it run its course. Soreness in the joints is is typically a problem. That means that your your muscles are not supporting and stabilizing you as effectively as they probably should, and you're collapsing into the tendons or ligaments or cartilage or discs or you know other joint structures. And so that's that's usually a sign that that something is off in your movement, and it would be worth working with a new fit professional or a, or a skilled and qualified physical therapist or chiropractor, someone who can can help you figure out where these underlying movement challenges are. So that's the biggest distinction I would make is, is whether it's muscle or uh, joint soreness. And, and if it is muscle soreness and you do want to or need to reduce it, um, instead of anti-inflammatories, I would try doing things that can actually accelerate your recovery. So try, you know, low level movement, like active recovery, which could be some mobility drills, 
um, or, or, you know, walking, things like that. They're going to get blood flow and get the, you know, help pump out some of that inflammation, but, but not too much. So it'll still be able to do its thing. Uh, contrast therapy, like doing cryotherapy, doing infrared saunas, things like that can be helpful. Uh, certain breathing exercises can help aid with uh, recovery, increased recovery. Uh, you know, we would actually use our device at a, at a lighter setting to help increase blood flow and, and lengthen out and relax some of the muscles and other tissues there. And that usually helps people uh, reduce the soreness, have a greater, greater sense of ease with movement. Uh, just a final question here, just as we wrap this up, Garrett. Uh, Paula asks, any way to be tested in Australia? So maybe this is just a good way for you to, to wrap it up and just uh, let people know where they can go and use uh, the new fit and where they can get more information. Yes. Uh, thank you, Paula, for the question. We actually have our first facility in Australia just is, is starting to offer new fit and this summer or well summer summer here so in in the next uh in the next 60 days uh someone will have it down there so we will i believe have a listing on the website and uh if you're able to to go to our website or follow us on social media uh we will certainly uh, announce that and add it to our listing so the best place uh, to find out listings is new.fit www.neu dot fit uh, go to the homepage there click the locations tab uh, you'll find all the locations in north america that are currently offering new fit uh, and within you know 60 days or so also australia um, and then if you're if you are a professional and this might be able to help your your rehab or integrative medical practice uh, check out new.fit slash stimulus package, little, little play on words, uh, you know, the government stimulus and also the electrical stimulus. Uh, we got some special discounts running on right now. If you're interested in, in learning more about adding this to your, to your business or your practice, um, also deals for if any individuals are interested in, in getting their own device for rehab or training. Wonderful. Well, Garrett, thank you so much. You've actually inspired me to do, to be mo more mobile and move around as I'm recording this. I, I started, uh, sitting on my chair and then subsequently I've now got my foot, my leg up, my knee up on my desk and I'm moving around and I'm changing it around to here, moving this way and I've been doing a few little stretches. So I've been uh, using it, not losing it. Amen, so thank brother. Amen. <laughs> thank you for the inspiration and thank you for your words of wisdom and for explaining uh, everything to do with the, with pain and, the neuro and neuroscience and your new fit uh, method. I really appreciate that. You're in Austin, Texas. I'm in Brisbane, Australia. It's kind of cool to be able to connect with you on different uh, different parts of the globe. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your experience and your wisdom today. Awesome. You're you're so welcome. And thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to you know to be on here. Good to catch up with you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be catching up at a co at a conference anytime soon, somehow, Garrett. But whenever that is, at some date in the future, when COVID nineteen has ended, and I will uh, love to see you again in person. Amen. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Swanick Podcast. If you liked what you heard, give us a subscribe, and while you're at it, forward it to a friend you think would benefit from hearing it too. You can find us on social media or at shopswanick.com.